Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Thanks for tuning in to the Goop podcast. I'd like to thank you, Theory, who made today's episode possible. The research and development team here at Goop spends a lot of time thinking about how we can formulate beauty and wellness products that work from the inside out. Along these lines, U-Theory is a brand we've admired for a while. If you're not familiar, let me fill you in. U-Theory is a family-owned and operated wellness brand. Their MO is to enhance health and beauty through the use of dietary supplements that are carefully developed in-house by their team of experts, using high-quality ingredients from around the world. U-Theory's collagen powder, for example, contains 18 amino acids that are the building blocks of healthy skin. It includes 6 grams of hydrolyzed collagen peptides per serving, plus hair favorite biotin for added beauty benefits, and vitamin C to support the body's natural production of collagen. The best part? It's super easy. You can just add a daily scoop to your morning coffee, smoothie, or beverage of choice. You can find U-Theory online and in person at your local health food and wellness retailers, for more info, just head to utheory.com. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing, that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest, and I'll come back after their conversation to answer a question from one of you. If you have a question you'd like me to get into in our next round of Ask Me Anything, send it to us at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. All right, over to Elise. Brian McKenzie is the co-founder and president of the Health and Human Performance Foundation and the creative director of Power Speed Endurance, which is a company that focuses on integrating science-based protocols with human performance to optimize our health. Brian is big on breath work, and today we talk about breathing, why it's hard to meditate and how to get better at it, and how different personalities and the way we handle stress often get in the way of us being able to just chill out. Brian created an app called State, a really helpful and intuitive tool for teaching us how to breathe and manage stress. 
I've been using it every night before I go to sleep. Brian's job may seem simple, teaching us how to breathe, but as any meditator out there knows, it can actually be quite complex. (laughs) So I can choose to actually be there and deal with the situation appropriately, change what's going on, but I can also choose to alter my breathing, which alters the landscape of what's happening with inside my body. And this gives me profound ability. This is plasticity. Let's get right to Brian. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Thrilled that Jennifer introduced us. Oh, I'm I I am thrilled too. I, I actually just checked up on her today. Oh, really? Is she breathing? She, I don't know. She hasn't responded yet, but she's you know she's busy like you are. So. I know, R- running the world. When Jennifer Rudolph Walsh says to meet someone, you have to meet that person. Yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. I deal with the Ari side of that. Oh, there yeah. you go. So, but they're they're one kind of in. I mean, one's one on the West organism. Coast, one's on the East. R- running the world. <laughs> yes. And just so people know, because I know we're in LA and it's so insular when we're talking about Ari, we're talking about Ari Emanuel. Yes. So how, okay. Mm -hmm. Obviously we all know breath, breath, Mm -hmm. breathing, yada, yada. Yada. It's one of those things. It's like just breathe is the most annoying. It's a very popular thing right now. It's popular. And it's also, it makes me angry. I'm like, I like, I have Mm. like an immediate. Yeah. Like F you don't tell me to breathe. Yeah. But clearly here we are, right? We are. And this is your work. It's to a large degree. Yes. But it it, just so we're clear, it it annoys me as well. Nonetheless, I'm not somebody who just likes to hand out or like blanket. Oh yeah. Just breathe. Yeah. It's like, look, there's a reason behind this and it's, and it's ubiquitous because it's involved in everything we do. So, you know, it is the thing that powers everything, right? I mean, Yes, to some degree. I mean, and, and that's that's a 5,000-year-old thing, you know, if we look at where our history on what it, where, it, where it started, you know, so far we understand, you know, with yoga being the oldest movement and breath practice we know of, so. Why is it, because, you know, we've talked about this mm-hmm. before, but meditation for me is very difficult because when I become, because I'm a disordered breather, mm. And I do chronic hyperventilation. When I become conscious of my breath, Mm -hmm. my breath gets worse. Mm -hmm. Is that common? Mm -hmm. And is that why I don't want to meditate? You and I are a lot alike from what I've picked up on. You know, I mean, we're type A. So it's like, boom, let's do this. No, I can do more. I can tack on more. Um, And then when I think about something, I overthink about it, right? And so that it's just that monkey brain type idea, you know, like, but I mean, this is what I went over in the, you know, presentation earlier about the brain. And it's like the brain operates for us. We, we pack in more stories and more things. And then there's these other systems that have been in play for like 500, you know, for a long, a long, long time you know, as our evolution has happened. And these are the reactive side. So when we get into the reptilian side of things, that's where the reaction starts to happen. And our breath is attached to that reaction. But the interesting part about that is 
when we start to overthink things, Mm -hmm. we start to interplay with that as well. And so the emotions that can be attached to those things, and then the, the byproduct of our reactive system, you know, like all our autonomic things, heart rate, you know, or visual cueing, blinking, like all of that, like, oh, I shouldn't blink that much. What do you mean? Oh, (laughs) you know, and all of a sudden I'm blinking more than I supposed to. And so now I'm thinking about my breathing and I, I think I'm disorganized with my breathing and yeah, you know, maybe you're not, maybe that's just overthinking. And so that's the idea of turning it into something that it's training. Yeah. You know, I think that's where technology comes in. Well, for me, it has, I I'm not reliant on technology, but I spend a lot of money, a lot of my business dollars on tech to understand what's really going on under the hood. If I actually manipulate this or I do this. Right. And then what's the byproduct of that? Oh, I just, I'm sleeping better. Like, why do I feel refreshed? But I'm not getting more hours of sleep. Right. Like I'm still getting seven hours of sleep a night, but like I feel better. Oh, this is actually having an impact. So to back up. So you, Mm -hmm. your work is in teaching how to breathe. And I know that there is tactical breath work, so I don't want to confuse things, (laughs) but that you're teaching people how to breathe in a more tactical and directed way. Like you're training and coaching them to until it becomes habit. And we're all doing this properly to to some degree, yeah. We're, I'm giving people principles. And so, I mean, and, and that's what we direct, we design the app with in, in mind. Like you could get some, you know, box breathing in right. there, but that would be because it fit to your personality or your, how you emotionally handle stress. And that's largely what we're doing is looking at how you actually handle stress. Right. So how does a lease handle stress? And let's look at that because we've looked at enough of that to know that not everybody responds to the same patterns. Right. And that was the big thing that we, we started connecting along with CO2 tolerance, which is the reason why we're actually taking a breath. And so we found that the ability to handle stress interplays with our CO2 tolerance. And then it's the stories that we're telling ourselves when we start to get stressed out. So you come to work and your day gets compacted and compacted and compacted, but then you go home and I know you have kids and it's like the kids are there and all of a sudden the kids start spinning out and you're like, Oh, I can't take any more of the kids. And it's like, it's not the kids. The kids have always been the kids, right? right? It's all this stuff I took on that I didn't learn how to use the things I've got biologically set up in order to kind of chill myself out a little bit more. And that's where the teaching of this stuff comes in. And I don't think that people need to be reliant on an app or me coming in and saying, Hey, you know, like, let me do a personal, let me, let me teach you how to do this. I think that could be a part of the process, but it, it's, is it making sense as your day goes on and you go, Oh, like I've got an opportunity. Everybody just exited the room or nobody's going to notice if I do this. Right. And I, and that literally, and I just saw with a few ladies out there in less than, in, in like a minute changed their state and felt much calmer in simple exercise. Right. And it's like, that we didn't need to program that into anything that can just be a part of, Hey, I just got in my car and I'm in traffic and I can just control my breathing right now. Yeah. The app's called state, the intuitive breathwork app. Mm -hmm. And it's always four exercises, right? That are five to six minutes long. Roughly just depends on how well you're adapted to stress. Right. And, and then you respond to it and tell, tell it whether it's too hard, too easy, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. it it continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. So 
And so I know when we met, you sort of explained, and I'm I'm curious if this is if this is really true that people are, and maybe it's type A, type B. Are people parasympathetic dominant or sympathetic dominant? Is that a real thing? That is a very real thing. So what is that? There, there's variations in that as well. So so here, and this is the easiest thing. Like I just I just wrote about this the other day and put this out. So type A's or sympathetic dominant people are typically people who, when they wake up in the morning are on, Mm -hmm. I'm on ready to go. Then there's the people who are kind of like a diesel engine and they need a lot of warming up in order to get going. Don't really like to get out of bed, want to stay in bed, sleep longer, could sleep longer versus that brains on like Mm -hmm. sympathetic dominant, right? I react to things really quickly. Um, where the more parasympathetic dominant think about things a little longer, um, you know, and these are, these are, can all be, you know, move through each of these things, but you start to see a pattern with whether somebody leans more towards being parasympathetic dominant or sympathetic dominant. And so you have a set point essentially, but you Mm -hmm. can manage it better. So if you're extremely sympathetic, parasympathetic, you can move it more towards the middle. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And this is the beauty about understanding who you are and how you operate. So if I'm somebody who's sympathetic dominant, like I should probably do something in the morning that probably keeps me a little bit calmer and less reactive so that my day doesn't start off like being shot out of a cannon. Mm -hmm. And then I end up at 12 or one or two o'clock falling off of a cliff. Right. Right. Where the parasympathetic dominant person would be able to do something that brings them up more like, Hey, I do something that upregulates me. And so I do some faster type breathing exercises or even, Hey, a cold shower, like right. that will literally get somebody's engine running pretty quickly. Yeah, no, it's super interesting too. Cause when we were talking about this with Kiki or wellness director, mm-hmm. you were, who is more parasympathetic yeah. and essentially you were like, if you are anxious or your mind is full, can you sleep? And she was like, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, like I can you pull an all nighter. Mm-hmm. Easily by letting my mind go wild. So in those instances, that's when I use the app. Correct. Yes. Okay. It would be better to use it before, like before any of those instances really happen, but those are actually can be critical points. Right. And so if we can actually just set up the training to where it's like, Hey, I know when I wake up in the morning, I should do this, Mm -hmm. that feel alert. And I know at night I should do this fall asleep. And let's just use those two as, as, as a very easy way of understanding this. Cause there's four, but those are two of the most impactful ones. And those two things will literally set up a chain reaction that within a couple of weeks out of habit alone becomes an instant thing. It's, it's why would we go to the gym to exercise? Well, if I continue to exercise and I continue to do these things, I should be having responses. Like I should be sitting up better because I'm working out or building my muscle or I'm going to yoga and I'm becoming more flexible and I feel like I'm in better position. Like these are, this is why we actually go and do these things is so that we can actually have a reaction to that, that in the moment we can default. Right. Right. And so I don't want to, elude people in thinking I want a like, Oh, in like, I just got to go put on the app, but the app is the training mm-hmm. so that in the moment you can actually do those things and you can respond in a better way. 100%. Including Ari. Include. Hey, I mean, he's literally <laughs> been, <laughs> I mean, the most powerful advocate for what I've done. And you've even felt the, 
that, those, you know, effects. Through, it's true. You know, Jennifer and I, fi- I fixed my, or I didn't fix, but I improved my CO2. Yes. Although I will say for everyone who's downloading the app, there is no wrong answer I learned because mm-hmm. I tried to redo all of my answers in mm-hmm. the presence of Brian. And he was like, this is, what did you guys say? This should be one of the questions to determine whether you're parasympathetic or sympathetic. If you're asking, am I answering these right? Yes. Or precisely enough. Yes, you're sympathetic dominant. <laughs> <laughs> you're type A, right? <laughs> Questioning everything I'm doing. Dialing once. it in. Yes. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Toomey's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Toomey.com or at a Toomey store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. We'll come back to Brian in just a second. When we scout out new beauty and wellness products, we tend to gravitate toward the things that are effective but also easy to use. Ones that allow us to feel healthy and beautiful from the inside out. This is the kind of thought process behind New Theory's line of collagen products. New Theory is a family-owned and operated wellness brand with a solid line of health and beauty products. They've developed an extensive range of clinically supported collagen goods, ranging from tablets to powders to liquids and quick dissolve mixes, so you can get the many benefits of collagen in the delivery format of your choice. One of the heroes of the line, though, is U-Theory's collagen powder. One of the natural effects of aging is changes in skin collagen, and this powder supports the production of healthy new collagen, with six grams of hydrolyzed collagen peptides per serving. It also has biotin and vitamin C, which are included to give your skin a supportive boost. U-Theory's collagen powder comes in several flavors, including an unflavored option, which I like because I can add it to pretty much anything. But you might love the vanilla-flavored powder in your coffee or morning smoothie. Either way, it's an easy daily dose of collagen for your body. And as you likely know, collagen lays the foundation for healthy skin, hair and nails, plus strong bones and joints too. To learn more about U-Theory or to find their products at a retailer near you, head to utheory.com. Okay, here's a movie that will draw you to the theaters. The Goldfinch from Warner Brother Pictures and Amazon Studios is based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name. It's about a boy named Theodore Theo Decker, who is played by two talented actors. Ansel Elgort plays Theo as an adult, and Oakes Fegley plays him as a child. In the beginning of the story, when Theo is just 13 years old, his mother is tragically killed in a bombing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. This moment, and an ill-fated split-second decision that Theo makes in its aftermath, changes everything. From here, we follow Theo's remarkable journey through grief and guilt, redemption and love, All along, he's both haunted and propelled by the one piece of hope that he clings to from that day in the museum, a painting of a tiny bird chained to its perch, the goldfinch. This is a beautiful coming-of-age story about the ripple effects of a single event. It's directed by John Crowley, whose work you might know and love from Brooklyn. And it also stars Finn Wolfhard and Iron Barnard, Sarah Paulson, Luke Wilson, Jeffrey Wright, and Academy Award winner Nicole Kidman. The Goldfinch comes out in theaters everywhere on September 13th, and we can't wait. 
back to my chat with Brian McKenzie. The other really interesting thing that you told me in the process of retraining my breath, which has been in many ways easier than I expected. So in my disordered, and I don't know if it's just because of my disordered breathing. I I love that you're just like, I'm so disordered. I'm so disordered. (laughs) But you told me when I work out, which is typically at high intensity Mm -hmm. dance cardio, Mm -hmm. that for 30 days, I need to keep my mouth shut Mm -hmm. and only breathe through my nose. Mm -hmm. And I, that was so intimidating to me that I didn't go for two weeks just to make it extra challenging. (laughs) So I was like, let me see if I can make myself pass out. But I actually got through the class fairly comfortably, Mm -hmm. but it's hard. It was put me into more of a meditative state because I had to consciously keep my mouth shut. So do we tend to overbreathe with our mouths? Is that what you're retraining? Oh yeah. You're retraining a few things, but yes, that's one. Two, from an energy standpoint, you're not burning through more sugar. You're actually staying more aerobically dominant. So it's not that you're not using sugar because glucose is, is a main component of aerobic function, but so is fat utilization. Mm-hmm. And so you're keeping that dial turned more towards fat burning. The other part of that is, is if you're just nasal breathing, is you're leaning more towards parasympathetic dominance. Mm. So you're actually more aware of what is going on because when we're stressed out, you can't actually start to make good. Even the science is sound on this. Like you can't actually make good decisions. You default to habitual things and responses when we're overloaded. And so this is where we start to be able to make a whole bunch of different plays. And it's not that it's all about nasal breathing because it's not, there's a time and a place for mouth breathing, but it's, Hey, let's get you accustomed to this for the next 30 days, develop you aerobically from an energy standpoint, more robustly. Right. And then also that's going to have an effect on your day because you're actually staying calmer Mm -hmm. because of the parasympathetic side of things. And then it makes it easier to keep your mouth shut throughout the day, especially when we're not talking. Right. Right. It's so hard for me to keep my mouth shut. If you haven't noticed, Um, but so anyone theoretically could benefit from trying to exercise with their mouth shut. Anyone. Yes. Yes, for sure. 30 days. We typically use 30 days as three to four weeks is what we typically use with, with anybody is like a base. Then it moves into, Hey, here's how mouth breathing starts to work and how we start to function at more intensity and understanding where those intense, where that intensity happens. So there is a time and a place for mouth breathing. 100%. Okay. Yes. 100%. Interesting. Yeah. What are the other common things that you observe? I know you work with elite athletes, CEOs, Mm -hmm. et cetera, but what are other bad habits that we've, many of us have developed when it comes to breath? Holding our breath? Yeah. Holding the breath. I mean, that's a big one. It's just, it's just uh, like, especially with sleep, like sleep apnea, that's, that's holding your breath. And so when you're asleep and you're unconscious, you've got triggers that'll have you breathing when your oxygen levels are too low versus when we're conscious, it's largely just because of carbon dioxide. Mm. So when you're asleep and people who deal with sleep apnea, that's because they're holding their breath or in stressful situations, people hold their breath, which, you know, Mm. like think plane turbulence. I don't like flying, you know, and you hold your breath and then all of a sudden it's right. And then I go into rapid, fast fire 
you know, mm-hmm. breathing and, oh, that's just going to upregulate me too. So now I'm spinning myself out. So from the physiological side of things, now I'm starting to actually yeah. create this cascade of events that are happening versus let's just take, I don't like flying as an example. And whatever the context of that is in the brain or, or, you know, what I'm telling myself, I don't like flying, I'm claustrophobic, whatever it is, right? And then there's turbulence and it's like, oh shit, I'm in a situation and now I'm reacting with my breathing. I'm setting off the physio, now I'm setting off physiological mechanisms that come into play that, hey, hormones react. There's a cascade of events that start to happen to where learning how to control your breathing interrupts those physiological processes so that now I'm not having that cascade of events happen. And then I can start to work on which I am of sound mind is the most important part, but the context of the story that I'm telling myself. So this is the Frankel story of like, Hey, this is the place between stimulus and response. This is choice. This is an opportunity for me to grow Mm. and change what's going on. Breathing fits into that choice. So does changing the story or the scenario in which I'm in. And I don't want to be in, you know, we as human beings have that choice of, even though I may not like the situation I'm in, I can change the context of the story, empathize with the person who might be upset or there's a discussion going on or the flying and something, you know, I don't like the flying. Well, what can I tell myself differently about this story right now that could change that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I like things that are practical. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way you've architected this is extremely practical. And is the idea like that, you, and I know you guys work with, the military, like you work with big groups, the military, et cetera. Is it like you're giving people the tools? If we all practice enough, like you're retraining your gait, right? That then you do it habitually? Yes. You'll default. I mean, that's literally my day is, it, it, it kind of sounds insane, but it's not. It's just, I was never aware of this you know, seven, eight years ago, or I just wasn't aware of it. And now it's like, I'm so aware of it that my day revolves around it. So I go from one interview or one thing to the next and it's, what do I do in between there? Oh, well, I'm controlling my breathing when I can. And I'm doing that in a way that I know affects me. And I, I feel those shifts and, you know, this is something innate in us, but we've lost contact to because of how we've adapted our lives and there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, let's learn, let's just Mm -hmm. learn. And and that's what we're moving away from is learning where animals do this instinctively, right? Like lions hunting antelope. And this is one of the stories we tell, but it's like, no matter what happens in that scenario, a, the lion wants to be there. The antelope doesn't. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) We have the choice of actually wanting to be in any situation we want in today's life, right? Like here in Santa Monica, like we're not in the lion and the antelope situation. Like that's not happening a whole lot. Right. Right. (laughs) So I can choose to actually be there and deal with the situation appropriately, change what's going on. But I can also choose to alter my breathing, which alters the landscape of what's happening with inside my body. And this gives me profound ability. This is plasticity. That mm-hmm. is, this is exactly what plasticity is in changing how the brain works. And I, we are of sound mind <laughs> that breathing is one of those things that just falls into place that becomes automatic, right? Yeah. No, I think it is. Well, it, obviously it is. It's part of the autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. but I think it, 
often can run us, right? Yes. So, or we don't know how to control it. Yeah. Well, the, the tail ends up wagging the dog. Right. Yep. And obviously there are major having a, my disordered breathing. I'm just going to keep saying it. But, you know, it took me years to grapple with it. My dad's a pulmonologist in the sense that there would be real. It's fantastic. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yes. But there were real physiological implications to it. Emergency room. You know, I went to a cardiologist. I saw, I do have subtle asthma. So inhalers. Like, Lady, we can change that. I know. You and I can change that. I'm I'm in a good place right now. But yeah, those physiological changes are real. And it's also one of the perfect, it's that perfect example of mind, body, that marriage and how inextricably they're linked and how it expresses as much as we want to say, oh, it's not anxiety. Oh, it's not like my mind can't make me sick. It's mm-hmm. a perfect, I think, expression of that. Theoretically, we're supposed to be able to control our anxiety, which is kind of a fallacy, but... Well, I've got a number of scientists that'll say, you know, anxiety is just overshooting the mark, right? And and being, you know, we've lost our ability on how to bring ourselves back. And so we get caught up in a lot of the things that are going, you know, being said in the media, what's going out and, oh my God, I've got this disorder. And it's like, we all deal with anxiety. We all, we all go through these things. It's... These are just opportunities to go, oh, I've overshot this mark a bit. Maybe it's time to change something. And I don't think breathing is the answer to that. I think it creates a physiological interlude into, hey, I can slow things down or speed them up depending upon what I want. And I can re-interact with the context of what's going on and the story I'm telling myself in order to make everything okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just an opportunity to grow. It's just an opportunity to learn. And that's where I think we've moved away from in, in, in trying to learn from things. And so going from one stressful situation to, an, to another without that ability to actually go, Hey, I can just take a minute and slow down my breathing right now and then go into what I got to go do. And you literally just bought yourself away into leaning into stress because it's not going anywhere. It's going to be there. So it's a part of nature. It's a, it's a stress and adaptation are nature. Right. Yep. No, it makes sense. And I think, you know, listening to you talk about how reactive you can be, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we, we sort of run on our emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Run on our emotions and reactions mm-hmm. and let those be just sort of a lack of rigor. Yeah. Yeah. In controlling ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had to do a lot of work. I was I, I've been I've been a very reactive person my entire life. I mean, I know you can't tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does it say across your knuckles? Unscared. Unscared. Okay. I've done a, a profound amount of work to understand this in a way that allowed me to be able to communicate it, and it was important. You know, I mean, so a year. This, you don't know when it's going to hit you. Like you don't know the most important points it's going to hit you. And and so literally a year ago, I was playing with my nephews and we were playing tag on a jungle gym Mm. and I ran up a ladder and didn't see a bar up top at about eight feet up. And I went directly into the top of my skull with it and it compressed my spine and I pinched my spinal cord and I went lights out and fell from eight feet up and landed on the ground and I was paralyzed from the neck down. And the first thing that came to me when I woke up 
was you need to control your breathing because if your breathing gets out of control, that's going to set off a bunch of reactions that's going to let your brain, your mind get away from you and start to create trauma around this situation and you may be paralyzed the rest of your life. And that's going to have a huge impact on everybody in your life. That's how important breathing has been in my life. Even though I've dealt with things like, oh, hey, trauma as a kid or whatever, you know, like all of that I got to deal with and understand and use breathing in, in order to play the context of those stories and get through them. But the reality is, is it's like we all can grow from that stuff. We can change that stuff. But in the moment when stuff hits you and you don't know what's going to happen, and obviously I'm not paralyzed anymore and like Yeah. Were you? How long were you paralyzed for? Um, minutes? Hours? Days? My arms and hands came back in about 5, 10 minutes, but it took my legs about 24, um, no, 40-something hours. And then I, it took me about three or four weeks before I, I could walk almost normal. Like I didn't look like Bambi. Um, but I, I had pinched the spinal cord pretty good. Mm. And I mean, I still have numbing and, and stuff in my legs just from the accident. I had to have emergency surgery, all that stuff. Like it went like it was, it was serious. And <laughs> the concussion was the worst part though, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. And that was where, you know, a, a month or two later, all of a sudden depression starts to set in and I've never been depressed in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've been more on the anxious side, anxiety side. Right. And so those are things you actually have to come to terms with and go, okay, so how do you deal with a TBI? Oh, aerobic work. Okay. Breathing that helps with aerobic work. I could sit on a stationary bike and just barely ride and work on my breathing and do my breath work and literally started to see results and and things change, you know, and I work through those things and it's ironically a year out, I'm fitter than I've been in 10 years Mm. after this, because I committed so hard to something and it changed my life in such a way that it created an opportunity. And that was that thing. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. We're going to take a quick break. We started this podcast because we wanted another way to share ideas, tips, and knowledge from experts and leaders across diverse fields and backgrounds and ways of thinking. The content team at Goop spends their day asking questions. We talk to mediums and intuitives, healers and nutritionists, scientists and journalists. At our edit meeting, we swap hotel recs, doctor recs, babysitter recs, and of course, food recs. After a long debate over what goes into the ideal protein bar, Someone on the team tipped me off to Think High Protein Bars. They're made with 20 grams of protein, zero grams of sugar, and no artificial flavors or GMOs. 
and they still manage to taste like a chocolate brownie or a scoop of peanut butter, but it's one of those things you have to try for yourself. The bars are good before a morning workout or when you're in need of an afternoon snack. Think's motto is, I think I can. They believe that with the right energy and nutrition, we can do pretty much anything we put our minds to, which is a pretty good mindset to try out. And to test out Think's high-protein bars, for starters, go to thinkproducts.com, enter code GOOP25, and you'll get 25% off your order. That's thinkproducts.com and use code GOOP25 for 25% off. This one expires on October 21st, 2019. And now, back to today's conversation. In your work with highly successful people, whether it's athletes or see like anyone mm-hmm. across across industries, do you find that those people are sort of preternaturally gifted in terms of their ability to control themselves, or not so much? Yes. Yeah. Like, like I'll use Ari as an example. Yeah, I obviously had preconceived ideas as to how Ari and who Ari was, right? <laughs> Nonetheless, met him, and I'd never met anybody who was able to turn it on and off as quick as him. Mm. It, it, it was profound. Like, like it was literally in a, in a, in a conversation with somebody that he's, you know, kind of going off on, and then instantly off the phone, and, hey, buddy, how are you? And right. I was like, what? <laughs> Whoa. I'm like, you know, he, he knows how to switch those things and not hold on to them. Now, he does it in a very, uh, he, he did it in a way that was very impressive to me. Not like, Hey, I'm just tossing this under the rug. What just happened. It's like, Hey, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm here to go through some breath work and understand what I'm doing in this thing. Yeah. I can't hold on to this right now. I'll return back to that. And he literally was able to return back to it after we were done. Did he, but did he carry the work through WME in terms of maybe not yelling at people on the phone? Well, (laughs) <laughs> when the entire staff s- thanks you <laughs> when you walk in, you th- it, it's had it, when Ari wasn't looking, right? right. Like, hey, we just want to say thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have no idea how much this has impacted things here, right? And it's like, wow, like I didn't know, I did, I had no idea. But you still think he's masterful in his ability to sort of compartmentalize and pull on his emotions yes. as needed. Yeah, and and I see that within you know a lot of high level execs. You know that that in this this is the operator community. You're talking special forces. This is professional athletes. This is you know top executives. This is you all have very unique. It's, not, You've worked at a skill that you don't really understand or know how you, some do, but most don't truly understand it. And that it is a very, very dialed in skill in order to be able to transition from Mm -hmm. things. And unfortunately, we still aren't perfect, right? And we're never Mm -hmm. going to be. So we're going to swerve. And so we can use tools that we've got. I, I am of sound mind. We have not tapped into what our biology is actually capable of. I'm I'm convinced of that. And so when we go chasing things with technology in order to do things without totally understanding what we're fully capable of biologically, I feel like that starts to 
misdirect what we're doing. And this is where we start to get attached to things like, oh, I've got to have my, my monitor on because it's telling me how many calories I burned. And, you know, when te- people tell me that, I'm like, you know, a free diver can burn like up, you know, to 600, 800 calories in an hour with a heart rate of like 50 to 60. Right. Wait, what? How are they doing that? Well, they're in the cold water. So their body's needing to adjust for that. Like all of these things are variables and understanding there's more to it than just going out and suffering or putting yourself in the pain cave in order to do things. And it's not about burning calories. It's about how your body is reacting and how you're handling stress. Yeah. No, I think women inherently know that it's not about calories because we are more complex and hormones and whatnot. So it's like, we all understand that frustration of Mm -hmm. like, don't tell me it's calories in calories out because Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. But I still feel like we, or at least I feel like I'm missing some of the keys to weight loss, for example. Is it, you know, beyond making sure your hormones are where they're supposed to be. But what you said about breath is really interesting too. The idea that if it's nasal, it's more parasympathetic parasympathetic, and that you're burning more fat. You're teaching your body to use the oxygen more. So the oxygen, when we inhale, it, it, it gets pulled into your red blood cell via hemoglobin, which is a protein, right? It's like, think of it as a magnet, right? It Mm -hmm. magnetizes it to the iron molecule inside the red blood cell. In order for that oxygen molecule to be kicked off, it gets transported, to be kicked off so the mitochondria can use it, you need an acid, and that acid is carbon dioxide. And this happens with all of us throughout the day. When we become more CO2 tolerant, more CO2 can be present in the blood that kicks off more of those oxygen molecules so that we're actually using the existing oxygen that's still in the system, Hmm. right? Versus not using all of the oxygen. So that's where we start to become more, we start to lean more towards using fat. It's not that we're not using carbohydrate. We're always using carbohydrate because the brain and the nervous system are dependent upon glucose. Right. But the the tissue and uh, like our muscle tissue can use fat. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a more, it's, it's a slower process. So that's what that parasympathetic side of things leans into is more of that fat dominance mm. production. Cool. Yeah. So 30 days exercise with your mouths closed. Yeah. Retrain your mind. Yeah. And then learn how to use that mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brian McKenzie. For more on Brian, check him out on powerspeedendurance.com and be sure to download his app, State. Now, over to GP for today's AMA. How do you grow a lifestyle business with products, stories, podcasts, stores, etc., and try to be good at everything, asks Nada. Nada, I'm tired just reading the list of all the things we try to do at Goop. It's, it's an interesting question because, first of all, I don't set out to do anything to try to be good at it. I think, you know, at Goop, we try to be really aligned in our mission, which is to connect people to great things or 
good information. And I think it's my passion for doing that that keeps us expanding into other areas. And we always try to do whatever new area we go into, we always try to do it with a lot of integrity and curiosity and passion. And then hopefully that means that we're good at everything. But I'm sure there are people who would beg to differ. Thank you, GP. If you have your own question you want GP to answer, drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back next week for more. And in the meantime, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.